in one of his videos. If you haven't seen it, it's the race review on Greenwood and Gravel. And in his video, this is his quote that he says that me and Drew are basically the same exact rider, except for never mind. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode 13 of the Matchbox Podcast presented by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and I've got the full crew with me in the studio today, including my co-host, Andrew Jeanette, along with Ignition co-founders Dylan Johnson and Drew Dillman. We kick off the show this week with our usual updates on recent racing and training before diving straight into the training-related topic. We'll be covering a couple listener-inspired topics on the episodes this week, so stay tuned to hear our takes on heat training and the difference between power-to-weight ratio and raw power for racing. As always, if you like what you hear, share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. If you want us to cover a training-related topic in a future episode, send us an email to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email titled The Matchbox Podcast, or find us on Instagram and send us a DM. All right, let's get into it. When it hits zero, you should say that again. All right, let's pod this thing. <laughs> What's up, guys? We're back. That's not the, cheesy. Uh, that's not. It's not corny. I've I've been saying podding like I'm I'm going podding tonight. I've been saying that every time. I'm like, hey, CJ, t- CJ, tonight I'm podding at eight thirty, and she's like, what? What are you doing? It's, it sounds like you're putting things in pods. Like you're, exactly. you're taking like beans and like putting them back in the bean pod. <laughs> like sh- like like j- canning. I'm canning. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're podding. We're podding. We're back to the podding. Potters now. Yes, we are <laughs> potters. I like that. Potters, yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so we are back to podcasting tonight. So last two episodes were question and answers with... Uh, we had... I don't think we had a full crew for either of those, but all of us at least got to share some insight. Um, that, w- that went great, and we got some more questions since then. So tonight's topics are going to be driven by some more listener questions. So we're going to get into that, to, into that in the second half. But first, let's kick it off with some racing again. I think, uh, Andrew, let's start with you. I know you did some racing this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I almost didn't. So um, this, I can speak for both Drew and I because we were at the same race. Which was a cool thing. I was looking forward to that. Um, I'm still you know. looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get around to it eventually. Um, but basically, uh, we, we were at the Rochester Grand Prix in Rochester, New York. It's the second event in the American Crit Cup, which is the new national criterium calendar. Um, we lined up at 8 p.m. We did three laps, and they stopped us because of lightning. And then seven minutes following that we stood in the rain for 20 or 30 minutes um, for them to tell us that they weren't going to be able to have the event. So um, that was canceled. So Fun we didn't fact, race. I was, I was in dead last for all three of those laps. <laughs> so I think I lost. <laughs> well, you know, there what? was a it, loser. Funny. I was it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that a break was going to go unless it rained anyway. So, you know, that might not have been such a bad place yeah. to be. Um, but, but me and my boys on CSLO were, were pretty eager to, to race, um, that weekend. We, you know, we felt really shafted. And so, you know, we got home and we did some Googling and we found a race on our way back to Philadelphia in Connecticut. So we went and lined up at the Lime Rock Grand Prix, which was on a car racing track. It was actually pretty awesome. Sick. It was super hot, super exposed. There's a nice big hill in it. Which, which made for a really fun race. Nice. Um, sort of a local field. There was definitely some guys who showed up from Rochester, which was which was good to see. Um, but we were, were probably one of the better teams there, or the best team there, and um, we forced a break. Group of four. It was both me and a teammate, so it was two on two, or two of us versus two dudes who weren't on a team together. Um my boy set me up and I won and it was, yeah, it was great. I was psyched. So, um, you know, given that I had the, the broken collarbone, I don't have quite as much racing in my legs yet. So it was good to kind of have an opportunity to open up the spring, come out on top. And, and that was, that was definitely good for, for confidence. So, um, yeah, it was awesome. It's great. It's great. It's great for marketing. Ignition coach co our coaches win. Yeah, they do. Period. <laughs> Period. 
what, what was the race called that you won? Lime Rock Grand Prix. Were they like were, were the were the directors super stoked that you guys showed up? Oh yeah, yeah, they were pumped, and it was, it was mean, actually a really it was a pretty fun yeah. time. So something happened to me there that's never happened to me before, which was all of the officials after the race handed me their phone and asked me to take a picture of them together. And I, I I told them to say officiate, <laughs> and they did it. It was hilarious. <laughs> 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 they were like the most like fun fun group of officials I've That's ever seen. That's awesome. Did you uh, sign autographs? <laughs> yeah, they were like, "Do you guys know that it's the winner who's taking our photo right now?" <laughs> they just thought that was that was so funny, and um, I think they were about as psyched cool. as we were to be there. And I think they actually had an equally hard day standing in the sun and riding the yeah. moto around that track in the heat. So. Um, hats off to all of the USA cycling officials up in Connecticut. That's sick. All right. Yeah, I was at Rochester as well. Seven minutes. I was in last place every lap. Um, I was pretty annoyed. I think I was a little bit annoyed, um, mainly because I almost pulled the plug on even going because all last week I didn't feel all that great and skipped a, skipped a couple workouts. I was like, man, I, I can't go to this race. I'm like, if I even if I feel good by Saturday, I'm not gonna have good legs because I've I've taken like ten days of no serious training. I hadn't done intervals in like ten days. So um yeah, so I was I, I was kind of annoyed because I almost pulled the plug on the trip anyways. And then I and so at the last second I decided to go and then it got canceled. So I was like, oh man, I shouldn't have come. But similarly to Andrew, the the rest of the Roadhouse crew, um they flew, we had early flights the next day at sun, uh, Sunday morning back to, I flew back to Louisville, but they flew back to Indy, drove, they, we left at, <clears throat> we got picked up at our airport 4am, their flight left at like 630, they got back to Indy and hightailed it two hours north of Indy to do the fat and skinny crit in Winona, Winona Lake, Indiana, and they were like, they had this fire in their belly because they were so amped to race Rochester and then it gets canceled. And we had a full roster. I think I was the only roadhouse guy that wasn't at this race. And they, they got one through six. We went one <sighs> first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth place. I think three of our riders lapped the field and then three more were off the front. <laughs> we just like went and like obliterated this field. Um, which is pretty cool. Uh, I went home and trained because, like I said, I just needed to get some good good training. And and my flight was back to Louisville, and there was no way I was going to make it there in time. Um. So yeah. Wow. Nice. Impressive. Yeah, I was pretty. It was pretty cool. We we crushed the local 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 scene. Right off, win, to win baby. Cloud nine after that. <laughs> yeah. I'm pumped about Snake Alley this weekend though. I've been looking forward to this race for a long time. This has been a race that I've I've wanted to win for a long time. I haven't done it in like eight years or something like that, but I wanted to win it a long time ago and I never did. So I'm yeah, we'll see how this weekend goes. I'm pretty excited. Is the actual Snake Alley crit Friday or Saturday? You know, they're they're doing a new crit Friday night in Burlington, but I don't think it goes up actual the alleyway saturday is the actual snake alley crit. Okay, sweet yeah. is that going to be on tv you know i doubt it um yeah i mean i think it draws a, a decent field but not like a national size mm-hmm. like a you know i don't think it pulls in everybody so yeah you're gonna get uh some uh race footage will you have like gopro or anything Mm, I haven't been racing with one. Maybe I will. Um, yeah, I've, yeah, I might. I might actually. Well, I don't know, man. That's a climb. That's just extra weight. And I have the big GoPro, the 360 or whatever, and or the GoPro Max. So it's like bigger than the other GoPros. Is that the one that goes know. on your helmet? That like you can put it there. I don't. Stuff? Yeah, yeah. It records three. Like records everything. But I don't ever do that. Cause I don't like, I don't want anything on my helmet. It just, it weighs too much and your helmet's always crooked. If I raced with it, I'd just put it on my bars. Cause then you don't have to think about it. But, um, maybe I'll give it to a kid or I'll give it to a kid and tell somebody to record us on the climb or something. 
you need uh, one of those uh, Instago cameras that I have. It's like 25 grams. Yeah. Real small. The nipple Real cam? arrow. Yeah, man. Is that your time? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what I'm going to do with YouTube. I'm thinking it through, but I haven't really mm-hmm. done anything on YouTube in months, so why do I need all this footage if I'm not going to use it? Yeah, you'll you'll see the results page and and hopefully my name will be somewhere at the top of that. And then you'll know how I did in the race. Old school, okay. man. That is one way Perfect. to do it. <laughs> just, or you can tune in here and I'm find out kidding. how it went. Oh, yeah. Next week. Yeah. Mm. Your number one source for. Yep, that's me. Local and regional race results. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the roadhouse. <laughs> yeah. Dylan? All right. Did you, Dylan, did you race? Uh, yeah, Dylan, did you do any racing? I did not race, and it's probably a good thing because I'm pretty smoked from doing like five race weekends in a row. So happy to not race, to be honest with you. You know when you date somebody and you break up with somebody and then after you break up <laughs> hold on going? yeah hold on you're get i'm gonna get there and after you break up with somebody every like all of your friends all of a sudden are like yeah we didn't even like her anyways we don't even know why you dated her mm. and and you're like well that that would have been very useful information when i was dating her because then maybe i would have broke up with her sooner mm-hmm. i feel like we're all kind of doing that to dylan because i feel like dylan's been over racing all year but i haven't really had the guts to say it to him but now I'm like, hey, Dylan, I think you're over racing, but it's almost like kind of too late because he's already raced a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would have been nice to. I, it, it's so hard to say no to all these races, man. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's. Uh, yeah. I shouldn't have done. I shouldn't have done Kohata. I shouldn't have done that Southeast gravel race. Um, honestly, flying all the way out to BWR. Uh, BWR really took it out of me and the flight took it out of me. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm honestly just hoping that I come around for unbound at this point. There is, there was a three week gap between gravel locos, my last race and unbound. And I'm, I'm my, my legs still haven't fully come, come around a week and a half after gravel locos. So I'm just, I'm kind of hoping that they do by unbound, but I don't know. Is there pressure, um, don't let this go to your head, but because you have somewhat of a status nowadays, is that, do you feel like there's pressure for you to go even to a Southeast gravel race? Cause it's like, oh, that's your local series. And Dylan, everybody knows that Dylan lives in Brevard. So like, <laughs> do you think there's some kind of pressure of like, yeah, I should probably go to this race to support the local series or even to the higher caliber of like BWR. Yeah. I should probably go to this race because a lot of my followers, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean this, the guys who put on the Southeast gravel series, they'll message me and say, Hey, you coming this weekend? And I, mm-hmm. you know, I'll be like, yeah, I'm coming. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, if there's any pressure, it's just pressure I put on myself, right? Like no one's putting pressure yeah. on me to do anything. It's if, if, if it's pressure, I'm putting it on myself. So. Yeah. I feel that. Okay. Yeah. Adam racing. Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty heavy race week, I guess. Um, so last week I talked about I was heading to Wisconsin for my first Pro XCT. Uh, so that was the Anglewood Open. Um, Drew, I did not take your advice on the hardtail. I ended mm. up going with the full suspension, and I think it was a good choice. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean there wasn't enough climbing to really warrant the hardtail. I don't think. Good point. So the the full suspension just seemed like a good choice. Um, yeah. So that so. We were supposed to drive out Thursday, get there Thursday night, have like all day Friday to prep for short track XC Friday afternoon. Uh, that just didn't go to plan. So we ended up not leaving till Friday morning. So drove like eight hours, got to the race, got out of the car, got ready and did a 20 minute short track race. Uh, that did not go well. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it was the drive or like I just wasn't prepared. Probably the latter. Uh, it's just not an effort that I was really training for at all. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that didn't go too well. Uh, kind of finished towards the back of the pack in that race. 
Um, I was bummed too because I had a pretty solid call up. I was like fourth row, which like doesn't sound great, but it was better than sixth or seventh row the second day. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. felt like the first day was my opportunity to get a decent result. Um, did not capitalize, but day two went much better. Uh, didn't get a great night's sleep Friday, but um, still, I think just not having to drive for eight hours helped a bunch. Uh, got a solid warm up in, um, and yeah, just kind of kind of sent it on. Um, sent it on Saturday and yeah, it was good. I, I finished like pretty solidly middle of the pack, which was not as good of a result as I was hoping for. But when you get a 50 or 60 something call up, um, you're just trying to kind of fight your way up from there. So it was fine. Uh, good experience. Probably won't do any more pro XCTs this year. So kind of one and done for the season, which was fine. Um, and then last night, we had our fourth and final local gravel race. And for those who've been following know that I've been gunning after our local gravel hero, Ken Pike. And I finally got him last night. I uh, nice. dropped him with probably 15 minutes to go and then there stayed away. Go. And yeah, rode pretty solid. It was, it was actually kind of cool. Like the first week I like got dropped like 30 minutes in. Second week I got dropped like 45 minutes in. Third week I lost in a sprint. And fourth week, I dropped him with 15 minutes to go. So um, it's kind of a nice progression. So fitness feels like it's finally coming around a little bit. Uh, Andrew, you you kind of look at looked at some of the data. I think we had some decent power numbers and <laughs> yeah, uh, heart rate looked good. I mean, uh, I don't yeah, I, mean, I don't like I don't look at any metrics when I'm racing. I just look at time is the only thing I ever have pulled up, or maybe distance if if it's like a a longer race. Um, so I don't really look at any metrics when I'm when I'm out there, but uh, pleasantly surprised afterwards. The the one thing I will say, just kind of watching watching those files week to week, is that the progression was actually like pretty rapid, all things considered. So four races in four weeks, and I would say each subsequent race, Adam did probably ten watts higher normalized power each race. Um, you know, and these are hour long nice. races, so you know, gravel races are probably like a better proxy for threshold improvements than like a criterium. I mean, still maybe not one-to-one, but, um, really cool to see definitely, um, some really solid progression. And, and I, I can say for sure that, um, although, you know, maybe tactically you even got better through the weeks, you were also physically getting better through the weeks and the results correlated to that. So that was, that was awesome. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. So that was it. Awesome, man. All right. You guys so want to get into get... some some topics or what? Yeah. So I was giving all, all this advice to Kenny Pike over the last few weeks. Still didn't help him beat you. Does he listen? He asked oh, yeah, like he's a, half he's the a, questions. He's a listener. The, yeah. He, one, um, one, of the, one of the questions today is from him. Yeah. Okay. No, he's, uh, yeah he's an avid listener. Uh, and I got to give him props. I mean, that guy is training his butt off right now. He's he's doing uh, Unbound and uh, Gravel Worlds and like a few other bigger gravel races this year. So he's been just, you know, putting in 20 to 30 hour weeks, kind of week in, week out. Um, I, nice. I think when I looked last, his training volume is double mine for the year. So dude's just, he's on one. So um, yeah, I got to give him props. He's training his butt off, but he's trying to learn more too. So he's tuning in. He asked another question this week. Uh, he said he's been... Yeah, digging digging the advice that he's getting. So he he appreciated that. Um, I uh, we didn't give him any of the race strategy advice yet, though. So I think that's where I kind of came in yesterday, a little more tactical than he than he was. Nice, nice. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into it. So the first question or topic that we're going to get into today has to do with heat training. So we did get a listener question, and I'm going to read it here. So it says. Hi, all. I've been listening and I've been enjoying the podcast and thought I'd submit a question. As it appears that Dylan is doing a heat acclimation block, I am curious about whether you as coaches would recommend the athletes adjust their interval targets or target power for an endurance ride if it's really hot and the athlete is not yet acclimated. If so, by how much? Then he says, to make the question even more concrete, let's say an athlete rides an endurance zone around 180 watts with a heart rate of roughly 130 
But on a really hot day, they notice that even at the beginning of their ride, their heart rate is hovering closer to 145. You said thanks. Mm -hmm. Alex Wachino. Okay, so we just, uh, just here's a little sneak peek for you guys uh, who follow me on YouTube. Um, Adam and I just did an interview with Steven Seiler, who uh, coined the term polarized and, and has done a lot of research on the polarized method. Um, and that hopefully will be coming out soon on my YouTube channel. I haven't been finding a lot of time to work on videos recently. Um, but hopefully it will be coming out soon. We actually asked him the question. We didn't ask him specifically about heat training, but we did ask him, um, you know, should you be pacing these endurance rides off of heart rate or power? And, uh, he didn't, he didn't actually know the answer, which I commend him for, for saying he doesn't know something when he doesn't know something. And I just don't think that it's an area that's been studied quite enough. Um, but as he got more into it and had, as he kind of explained, you know, his thinking, um, he, the answer that I heard him say was that pacing off of heart rate for an endurance ride matters a little bit more than pacing off of power. Um, if the goal is to stay low intensity. And I think that makes a lot of sense because heart rate is, is kind of a measure of what's going on in your body versus powers output. So, um, as far as this specific question, should you, you know, should you back it off in the heat to stay in the right heart rate zone, which I believe is the original question, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he was asking, you know, should you adjust your power zones in order to, uh, you know, I guess mm -hmm. in theory, stay in, in the proper heart rate zone for the intervals or endurance rides. Sure. Um, so I would say that we don't know the answer to that question right now. And it's actually something that I've tried to look into as well. I don't think they have good studies on it right now. Um, but thinking about it logically, it's, it would seem to make sense that pacing off of heart rate is, is probably what you want to do for a zone two ride. And for anything else, like any sort of intensity, I would, if, if you want to perform the intervals as well as you possibly can, I would try to do them at a time of the day where it's not crazy hot so that you can actually perform them well. Yeah. Well, and, and just to kind of piggyback on what Dylan's saying two two pieces of information I'll provide the, yeah, the first thing is, is that if, if it's so hot that you're the discrepancy in your heart rate is 15 BPM. Um, yeah. I mean, I think perhaps the solution would be just, training at an earlier time of the day where it's still maybe hotter than you're accustomed to, but not so hot that you're seeing that dramatic of an effect. Um, and I think, you know, I'll, I'll sort of maybe speak to heat acclimation training in general. Um, and the guidelines that I provide my athletes during the heat acclimation process is to maybe even start with your, you know, and this is assuming you can kind of dictate when in the day you ride to maybe start with your recovery rides in the heat, you know, and then maybe progress to your endurance rides in the heat. Um, and I would almost never suggest, um, you know, athletes do their intervals in the hottest part of the day. I mean, it's sort of the same principle that yeah. they talk about with like live high, train low, right? Like there are certain mm -hmm. adaptations that just come from pushing that higher power. So although the stress is high, you're not getting some of the adaptations that you're, you're maybe looking for. Um, and so, you know, you have to be careful with this. And another thing I would maybe say is, you know, maybe another way to approach this, if you're seeing that much of a shift in your heart rate would be to actually start with, you know, doing all your rides in the coldest part of the day, and then maybe supplementing with some sauna training. So we're sort of separating and compartmentalizing that, uh, you know, that stress load. Um, so that, that would be something you could do if you don't have access to a sauna, people use hot baths to good effect as well. Um, you know, and we're looking at maybe like a few sessions a week at 20 minutes in time. Um, so there, there's been some good research on, on that being effective. Um, the other thing I'll say with regards to pacing, you know, using heart rate versus power for these endurance rides, 
um, is is I would I would kind of split the difference. So if normally you do your endurance rides at 130 BPM and 180 watts, maybe do 170 watts and 140 BPM. So still staying maybe like within that that heart rate zone, but just at the top of the heart rate zone in the bottom of the power zone. Um, and I would pay really careful attention mm-hmm. to, um, you know, how this is progressing. And you can do that by looking at the efficiency factor for these rides, which is going to be, I believe, normalized power divided by heart rate. And you should look to see that going up as you adapt. Um, and maybe just making sure that you're, you're doing a really good job of hydrating. And, you know, you can even start rides with um, like an ice sock. Um, just to kind of mitigate some of that stress. The practical term for that, Andrew, is called compromise. And it's good <laughs> advice for marriage as well. You just meet in the middle. They're happy. You're happy. Hey, there you go. Dude, you're no, like that's, basically a relationship guru on this podcast today. Yeah, I'm feeling it. Um, no, that's exactly what I was going to say too. Um, meet in the middle. Yeah. Uh, I I was going to also say... Um, to quote one of my favorite, I don't know what you'd call them, but my favorite guys in the world, MC Spandex, it's all about performance. <laughs> That's the name of the game. Dude, I'm telling you, like that song, I love that song, um, but I also think it's so true. Uh, if you're going to do your intervals... Don't do them in the hottest part of the day, just like Andrew said, because that's going to compromise performance. And even on your workout days or your interval days, you want those intervals to be as optimal as possible. So if that means waking up early and doing them before it gets hot, because then you can out, you know, put out more power and have a better workout overall, then that's something worth, worth doing um, versus doing it right in the heat of the day. Uh, of course, you know, not everybody has that, that luxury, but it, as much as you can try to make it happen so that your intervals are in a cooler part of the day so you can optimize performance. Um, another yeah, couple and, and things I just want to clarify. So you guys are talking about, um, oh, sorry, Andrew, but you guys are talking about while you're still in the heat acclimation process, right? Uh, so, you know, now is actually a great time. A lot of people are just now starting to get into like some warmer weather, but later in the summer, like once you're fully acclimated, you should be able to go out and do your intervals. Maybe not if it's like a hundred degrees, but like, you know, based on wherever you live, like in a warmer part of the day. And like, I see that with myself, like right now, if I were to go do my intervals in the heat of the day and it was 90, I'd be suffering. But a month from now, like that shouldn't be, that, that won't be a problem. Like I can usually just because you, you're more acclimated to it. So I, I think I just want to clarify that's kind of what we're talking about here is when you're still early in the acclimation process. Uh, well, so I would, I would actually disagree a little bit and I would say that I would still, if you have a really hard interval session, I would still strive to do it at whatever, whatever you feel the optimal temperature is because although after acclimation you might, you might be okay, you might be able to hit your numbers, you know, if it's let's say 85 or 90 degrees, but you might be able to do even more power and get more out of the intervals if mm-hmm. you do it in a little bit cooler of a temp. And I mean, that's, that's sort of an immutable thing. I mean, it's the same thing with altitude, right? Like people who are fully acclimated to altitude still do less power even at 5,000 feet. And so like even those guys benefit from coming down and training low. Um, so I think it's the same thing with the heat. Um, and I would, I would also go ahead and say that and I think this is a really important part um, that you have to think of the introduction of heat to your training as an additional stressor. So that's just one more thing you need to recover from. And I think what you're saying, actually, you know, maybe that makes sense for somebody who's really time crunched. Um, cause we're, we're adding stress to our rides and, and maybe increasing the adaptation that we're getting from it. But for somebody who's training sort of near their limit, I don't think you want to introduce any additional stressors. Um, but, but one other thing I kind of thought of that I want to throw in here real quick is, and people are not going to like this, or at least I don't think many of you will like this, is if it's really hot out and you don't feel adapted yet or it's so hot that it's maybe too hot even if you are adapted, one thing that you can do is if you have a trainer cave, I mean, you could actually, you know, probably just do your efforts on the trainer. You get the fan on. You get a big glass of ice water. Get out of here. Get out of (laughs) here. I didn't think you were going to say that, and I was thinking – I'm in. No, I hate I, that. No I way. I'm in, going outside. I'm, I'm in complete disagreement. I think your I think your workout would. St- 
I, for me, my workout would be better if it was a hundred degrees outside than if I had to go on the trainer. A hundred. Yeah, no, no. And that's I mean, fair. I, and I think it's individual, but there's some people who are pretty, pretty, pretty good at hitting their numbers on the trainer. They like it. You know, the Zwift all stars sure. out there. And <laughs> I think there's, I think there's a case to be made for it, but I, yeah, I agree. Even for me, I, I probably wouldn't do that, but big race. Maybe it's just one workout. I, I, <laughs> Yeah, if it, I if it was a hundred degrees outside, I would I think my workout would still be better quality in a hundred degrees than if I had to ride on the trainer. Agreed. Well, that's why you're a gravel star. I hate doing intervals on the trainer. <laughs> I guess so. Real quick clarification because we're on this topic, and I'm curious. I got a lot of flack one time because I posted a little clip on Instagram saying that. If this is basically, I'll sum it up for you. If we eat, if we consume a hundred calories, 75 of those calories is getting used in one way or another to deal with heat because our bodies are very inefficient at heat. And only 25 of those calories are actually getting used as energy in our legs, like powering the bike forward. Is that true? Or because I've read, I, I could, I could pull out two different books that, that gave that exact example, but I got a lot of heat for saying that. Um, heat. Well, it's, it's yeah, loss. there we go. Uh, my, so my understanding is that it's it's not dealing with heat per se; it's lost as heat. So the the math is actually kind of lost interesting on this one. I didn't know how to word it. Yeah. Right. So so to give you guys an example that's that's pretty fun and sort of relevant to what we're talking about here, if you are on a trainer in a room that's like let's say seventy degrees and you're riding at 200 watts, and you have a gross biomechanical efficiency of 25%, that means the other 75% is just lost as heat. And so that's 800 kilojoules worth of energy leaving your body, right? Mm. And I think the the math is, I don't remember the exact numbers, so if any of our listeners out there are mathematicians or, you know, physicists or whatever, um, they, they can kind of give us some feedback on this, but I, I think that that raises the temperature of the room by one degree, right? Cause it's, I, I think it's like a thousand calories raises the temperature of water by one degree. Is that correct? You guys remember this from science class? Yeah. It's a certain volume of water that I can't remember. It's probably like, yeah, a there's, it's a standardized yeah, thing. So, yeah. But so that's, it'll depend on the room size, obviously. Right. It Are will. you answering my question? <laughs> yes well so so drew what so do you do i don't know i, I think i'm more the one confused part, buddy drew i think the one part that you maybe misspoke on was you said if you're eating 100 calories then 75 of those calories are going directly to thermoregulation yeah. um I, it's, there, it's the actually, language think, is real tricky yeah. so you said yeah. dealing with not, heat i not, think the correct way to say it would be lost as heat lost as heat yes i agree yeah yeah, but I think it's it's not it's not the hundred calories that you're eating. It's it's that seventy five percent of the energy burned or used is going towards is lost as heat. So because your body is obviously doing something else other than exercising and you know trying to regulate body temperature. So there's more than just those hundred calories, right? If, if you were, well, there, there, there would have to be more than a hundred calories, but you're talking about it in terms of like what you're eating. Um, but it's actually what you're, the energy that you're burning. Right. Well, and it, in, okay. so to burn a hundred calories, you, you actually have to eat like 150 calories or something like that probably. But, but yeah, no, it's, it's, so it's interesting. Even wor- and, um, worse. the, the, the biomechanical efficiency of people is different. So the number is not the same for every person which is also kind of a cool thing. And your efficiency goes up or can go up with training. And I think we, we talked about this on another podcast, but that's, I actually heard Siler say this. He was explaining that like certain, certain parameters like VO2 max are going to eventually plateau. Right. Um, but one thing that can kind of continue to go up indefinitely is your efficiency. Yeah. Let's get to another question. All right, here we go. All right. Page 143 of the book Indoor by, what's that? Who's that by again? Um, Alex Hutchinson. Alex Hutchinson. Page 100, yeah, I love him, but that's not him. 143, 
says, for every 100 calories of food you eat, in other words, you might get 25 calories of useful work and 75 calories of heat. That's all hmm. I that's all I yeah. wrote down. That's what we told quote, you. But okay. So so I think that's I accurate. Think, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, you <laughs> at first you said 75 calories was used to deal with heat. Because I didn't so, know how to word it. Yeah, right. Okay. So, you know. Yeah. So, he just says 75 calories. Of sometimes heat. you're not the most precise with your language, which is fine. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like lactic acid. If you didn't know, lactic acid is out. Every time you want to say lactic acid, say lactate instead. That's the new hip phrase for lactic acid. Yeah, it's very hip. You immediately get you you get you get ousted if you say lactic acid. I found that out the hard way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's what the kids are saying. Yeah, all the kids are saying lactate these days. Yep. Along with did we answer the question? I know I asked like five questions, but the original question, did we we answered that one, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think we can move on to the next one. Okay, good. All right. So this next question uh, is asking about power to weight versus raw power. Uh, so this, the question says, so I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on watts per kg on climbs versus flats, and at what point it becomes more important to be at a at the lower race weight. For example, you said, well, so he was talking about me. So he said, for example, last week you were saying you were doing approximately five watts per kilo at our last race which is way higher than what I was doing, but he beat me. So he says, so raw power seems more important. Thanks, Ken. Uh, but this past weekend on a hill, uh, you would have crushed me going up that. So he wants to know, like, when is watts per kg more important than raw power, you know, or in what scenarios? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just right off the bat, I would say that, it, it really is going to depend on the person. So this is kind of adding some context to the question, right? So it depends on what your body composition is to start. Um, so in other words, if you're already a relatively lean individual, so I mean, take any of us on this podcast, you know, losing weight is probably also going to mean losing power, right? And so in most cases, I would say that that's not going to result in better race performance. Um, because ultimately, I think you almost always want to take more watts over less weight for, for general performance. I mean, maybe the exception is like, uh, like Zwift. Like Zwift, Zwift is probably Zwift in like pure steep long hill climbs are the two only race situations where, you know, maybe like a, like a really extreme whopper kilo is going to beat somebody who's just more powerful. Um, and I, it, this is this is not the scientific answer. This is sort of a practical answer. Um, however, if you have a lot of excess body fat, then you know maybe that changes things. But let's curious what what the rest of you have to say. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I I agree actually. So, if you could choose, like, let's just put out this scenario. Let's say you could be at five watts per kilogram at 150 pounds or you could be at five watts per kilogram at 175 pounds which do you choose at both weights you're at five watts per kilo you would want to choose 175 five watts per kilo because not only are you going to be you're going to be the same speed climbing in fact maybe a little bit faster because your bike is part of your overall weight um and now a bike is a smaller proportion of your overall weight. But now you're also going to be faster on the flats, right? Uh, or at least in theory. Basically, how fast you are on the flats doesn't have a lot to do with your weight. It has to do with your watts per CDA. And I'm not going to go into what exactly CDA is, but basically what it is is how aerodynamic you are. Um, so so if, we're, if we're talking about flats... Uh, Weight actually it doesn't matter a whole lot, and raw power matters a whole lot more. But I would say taking that a step further, it's it's watts per CDA, um, and there's a whole there's a whole there's a lot of ways to get more aerodynamic um, that we could go into. But but it's just 
perhaps something to keep in mind. I, I spoke with uh, Josh Portner, who really geeks out about all of this stuff. Um, and I asked him at what point, this isn't exactly your question, but I asked him at like, what point is it more beneficial to have, say, like a lightweight climbing bike versus an aerodynamic bike? Like what gradient do you need to be riding at where it's actually better to have the lighter bike versus the more aerodynamic one. And his answer was like seven to 8% grade, which is quite a bit steeper than I think most people realize. And it of course has to depend on how fast you're going. Right. And so, you know, if you're a bike racer Mm -hmm. and let's say you're in the elite category, I mean, even on climbs of three or 4%, you know, at five or six Watts per kilo, whatever the number is like, you're going to be going pretty fast. So aerodynamics are actually probably going to, maybe play a little bit of a role even there as well. Um, And another thing that, you know, we can kind of talk about. So we're talking about like a gravel race or a road race that has, you know, a considerable amount of climbing in it. There's probably also still a lot of flat. And one thing that I'll kind of point out is that like Dylan said, what matters on the flats is going to be raw power or Watts per CDA. And let's say, you know, you have two riders, um, you know, to use Dylan's example, like maybe one guy at 75 kilos who has a threshold of 4.5 Watts per kilo. Another guy who's a little bit smaller, who has a threshold of five Watts per kilo, but a lower threshold, you know, even though the bigger guy is maybe disadvantaged on the climb, maybe over the course of the whole day, he's able to ride at a much lower percentage of his threshold. And so when he gets to the climb, he's fresher. So I think fatigue resistance plays a role here as well. And kind of the, the total day. So, um, the Joe Martin stage race just finished up. There's some pretty significant climbs, but you're not necessarily seeing climbers win just because there's climbs on the course, you know, and maybe the bigger guys suffer a little bit more there, but overall, you know, they're going to be better in the finish presumably. And they're maybe doing, maybe they're only doing zone two on the flats, whereas the climber guy has to do more. And so by the time he gets to the climb, he's, he's already tired. Yeah. There's a reason why at Grand Tours, the winner is rarely some 120, 130 pound pure climber, right? Because, I mean, not only does the winner of a Grand Tour have to kind of be a good all rounder, or at the very least be decent at time trialing, which it's helpful to be a little bit bigger most of the time, but, but you also have to ride a ton of flat terrain, before you get to these these climbs where the actual race is decided. Right. One one other area that I will kind of talk about that, that we haven't addressed yet is acceleration. So, um, you know, acceleration is, does anybody here know the equation for that? It's like mass times something. In any Force case. equals mass times acceleration. <laughs> it's weird. Well, in any case, it's it's going to require more energy to accelerate more mass, and that that even applies on wheels. So yeah, it, so one it place is where F, I it do is F equals of, ma. Perfect. Yeah, Adam got it right. There you go. Um, mm-hmm. All the variables were just spinning in my head, so I just sort of you know chose chose to not address that. But um, is is like an acceleration heavy sport maybe like cyclocross um i think watts per kilo Mm -hmm. do do play a role sort of almost counterintuitively like you might think that um you know like the more raw power would be better for that discipline but when you're doing tons and tons and tons of repeated accelerations especially up like short and steep little hills i i think that that does play a role so that that is something to consider as well i think um but but again practically um you know, if you're already relatively lean, um, you know, trying to lose more weight is probably going to bring down your numbers a little bit. Um, and you'd be better off, I think, just, um, you know, continuing with your training progression and seeing um, improvements in your power numbers. And, you know, uh, before we got on this podcast, I actually <laughs> I stumbled upon a, a YouTube video done by the guys at GCN. And they did an experiment where they did a climb, um, you know, at 250 watts. It was like an hour-long climb. And then they did it again with like an additional one kilogram of weight on their bikes. 
Um, and, you know, of course, you know, it was a little bit slower. And so for, for those who aren't familiar with kilograms, it's like two and a half pounds. So it's, you know, like a reasonable amount of weight that somebody could lose. Um, but then they did like a third trial where they just added five watts and did it at the baseline weight. And the increase in time when they added watts, just five watts, was more than the time lost from adding one kilogram of weight. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's yeah. it seems like the easier way to move the equation is by losing weight, but did, it's did they change their tricky. tire pressure? I don't know, man. <laughs> the, these their videos are really, I think, just meant for entertainment. <laughs> yeah, so we, we we I guess we well, can take that so, with a grain of so salt. So I think. <laughs> No, no, I think it's a good point. And, and but I um you know one other aspect to bring up I think that's important is uh the 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 actual like expenditure. So someone who so let's say you have two riders at 5 watts per kg, one at 150 pounds, one at 175, so the same scenario. To do the same relative effort, the guy at 175 or gal at 175, they have to do more work. They have to put out more power, which mm-hmm. equates to more energy. So you know, I think what we're saying here, and I think we would all agree, that if you had the option to increase your watts per kg by either dropping weight or increasing power, I think all of us here are in agreement that we would choose to increase power. But you just have to make sure that you're matching that with equal amounts of uh, uh, nutrition consumption because you will have to do more work. And I think most people are probably not at their limits to what they can consume on the bike. So it's probably just an opportunity for everyone to improve, but it is just something to think about, you know, so over a 10 hour race, that could be a lot of extra KJs that you're putting out for the, the additional, you know, power that you have on store. I'm going to do that thing where I try to oversimplify and make it more practical. But Andrew, did you have something to, this was, did you have something to say to what Adam just said? Yeah, real, real, real quick. Because so this is I, something I was, different. I was going to say, okay, I've, I've you go of, first. <laughs> I've sort of long had the theory that, you know, similar to what Dylan was saying about how you don't see a lot of Grand Tour riders who are just like absolutely tiny, you know, like 120 pounds. I think the reason why you don't see a lot of, um, you know, really big guys in cycling is because of what you just said, Adam. Like with the length of the races and the limitation and how many calories you can take on board. I feel like really big guys, even if their watts per kilo were the same, you know, sort of the extreme on the other side of, of this scenario would just have a hard time keeping up with the calories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting because what we're seeing now are guys like, I mean, Matthew Vanderpool, he looks huge on TV, but he's really not that big of a guy. I mean, I think he weighs like 170 pounds, which isn't like, it's so not bigger massive than all of us. or anything, but compared to... <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, you know, relative to some of the other guys like Tom Pidcock. I mean, he, he outweighs Pidcock by 50 pounds. Um, so he looks like a monster, but it's not, I mean, he's not like excessively oversized, but he's, he's one of these guys that's on a program where he's pushing the limits of grams of carbohydrates per hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I, th- I think I saw somewhere that he's trying to take in or, or has a, has successfully taken in up to 120 grams of carbs an hour right now. Um, and yeah. I know that he's part of like a development program that they're, they're working on researching that, uh, like what is, what is the new optimal, uh, ratio there, for carbohydrates to achieve a higher level of intake because he's someone who needs it. Right. I mean, he's putting out so much more power than some of his other competitors that he needs to somehow supplement that extra work with, with additional intake. Yeah. There's a recent paper that suggests that 120, uh, grams per hour might be, might be the new limit. I, I, I've said this before in videos based off of, of older research that 90 grams per hour might be the limit, but, um, they're, they're finding that it might be more. Um, and it sounds like, uh, Vanderpool's on the cutting edge of that. And well, Andrew they, got a hold of that article last week and decided to put six scoops of super fuel in his bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I can do well, it, man. 120. It, I think it really does depend on the the fuel mixture, and so the the things that I've read recently have been that they've went from like a two to one ratio of glucose to fructose to um, one to point eight. So increasing the proportion of fructose somehow might get you closer mm-hmm. to that 
120 grams. Mm-hmm. Drew, yeah. do you have like right, a Can we a go back to my oversimplification? Of... <laughs> go for it, man. <laughs> is that a is that like a, a nice way of saying Drew, take us down your rabbit hole? Yeah, um, got it. No, I was gonna get back to the original question. Um, yeah, what were we even talking about? He was asking about watts per kilogram. Um, but I was going to say for all of us, we're like pretty much at the, we're kind of pushing the edge on both our upper limits of Watts and our upper limits of, of, uh, weight. You know, I can't, I I couldn't just go out this week and lose 10 pounds. And, and I, on the, on the flip side, I can't go out this week and also gain a bunch of power. But a lot of our listeners probably maybe could do, or a lot of athletes could do one of those things. And I don't know if I'm asking a question or answering a question here. I don't really know. Um, but when it comes down to like low hanging fruit, that's what I'm trying to think of. If it's easier for me to, yeah, I don't know, like gain power or lose weight and, and, but like losing, I know you guys are saying gaining power would be, um, optimal, but maybe like losing five pounds, would yeah. be just low-hanging fruit. But and it's I, not I one or the that. other, though. Um, it's like in the untrained population, you're probably just going to do both, mm, like without trying, right? Like if you yeah. increase your training load, a good point. You're just, yeah. it just also, works. Also, Sorry, you, do yeah. have to, you do have to assess your body composition. Like if you're, if you're yes. at 8% body fat, you're probably at the point that you... Shouldn't losing, do anymore. Losing weight is going to result in loss of power right correct uh, but if you got if you know if you got a spare tire then yeah you maybe uh maybe losing weight should should be a main focus right i so, like what andrew said um i mean i like what you said too dylan but i had <laughs> i totally spaced on what andrew said and and that's actually you know i know you guys know how much i love matt fitzgerald but that's a lot of what he talks about in his book racing weight is mm-hmm. do the right training and the composition will kind of follow. Um, and I had, yeah, Andrew reminded me of that fact. So that totally makes sense now. Well, and they, you know, to kind of further illustrate this with a little bit of science, um, you know, there's this concept in like powerlifting, weightlifting um, of body recomposition, whereby you're getting leaner and adding muscle. And it's, yeah. it's only really possible in the most novice populations. So, you know, in other words, mm-hmm. you know, if we were all weightlifters here and that's what we were talking about, you know, if we wanted to gain muscle, we couldn't gain muscle while also losing fat. For us in our advanced stage of athletics, it, w- it, just w- it wouldn't be possible because the thermodynamics don't work out, right? Because it's like you need a caloric surplus mm-hmm. to gain muscle, you need a caloric deficit to lose fat. Um, but in novice populations... Right. It, it just works both ways. And so, you know, I, I think my final advice for everybody out there is unless you're already really lean or you've been training for like seriously with a coach for more than a few years, I would just focus on the training and really try and fit more training into your life. Um, you know, and, and practically speaking, like in terms of, you know, if you did want to lose weight and you wanted to create a deficit, I find it's much easier and safer to increase your training caloric expenditure by let's say 250 calories a day than it would be to deficit 250 calories because in the former example mm-hmm. you're much more likely to get all of your micronutrients and stay healthy um, and you're still at the same caloric deficit so yeah right so i just want to make sure that we we end by addressing the original question because we, we've been talking about like, if you, you know, what's the best way to optimize? Is it, is it reduction in weight or increase in power? But if you're Mm -hmm. someone who just can't control either, right. So you're, you're locked into a specific Watts per kg. I think, you know, part of what he was asking is if you know, if you're on the start line and you've got some guys that look leaner than you and you know, they're, you know, maybe Watts per kg is higher than you, but you know that you've got higher raw power, like how would how would that play into the factor of the mm. race? Um, Easy, and I, and I think part of this could be just maybe maybe you have to choose which races you're entering, right? Um, but it's you know but if, yeah, if you I mean, know that you're 
Go ahead, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, so let's let's just. I agree. I mean, there's this horses for courses idea, right? Like, probably don't enter the hill climb championships if you're like a a big diesel motor type guy. Um, but you know, if we assume just to make it a little bit more interesting that you're racing the same course, and this course features both flats and hills. Um, I mean, I think if you're the bigger, higher raw power rider, maybe the move is you go on the breakaway, you know, and then you can pace the course the way that advantages you the most, right? So you can kind of keep it around your threshold in the climbs and then you can ride faster on the flats and maybe your total course time is faster than the guys who go easy on the flats and then go really, really fast up the climbs. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and so it's you can definitely strategize in different ways to optimize for, um, you know, what your, what you know, where you are on this uh, equation. Yeah, and, and another thing to go with that is everything that goes up must come down, right? And the physics of it is actually that the the rider with a little bit more mass probably is going to break wind a little bit better. Uh, maybe, I mean, it depends on CDA and stuff too, but I would say that, you know, a, a rider who knows they're maybe limited by their Watts per kg, they would probably benefit from improving their technical descending or their, just their descending skills in general, um, and their efficiency while descending. Um, cause it, cause that's an opportunity to either make up lost ground, or if you are lucky enough to get, you know, ahead in a breakaway or something, um, to be able to I- increase your your lead by either attacking the descents or just riding the descents more efficiently um, and, and faster than some of your competitors too. Yeah, another now option. Now let's finish maybe. with all of us telling everybody what our watts per kilogram is. What? <laughs> what? Just kidding. <laughs> I wouldn't want to embarrass you guys. All right. Well, let's hear it now. You. You brought it up, so let's hear it. You know, I actually don't know. I have to do the math. Let's see here. Andrew, you were going to say something? I was going to say, you know, I was watching a stage of the Giro. Or actually, it wasn't the Giro. It was Tour of Norway. Um, And another opportunity where if you're like a bigger, stronger rider that you can maybe use at your advantage is is if there's crosswinds. That's going to be a place where where you might be able to shake, shake some of the climbers out of the pack. Um, so that, that's an option. Yep. Um, and another thing you can do too, that's, that's something that I've sort of employed is, you know, if you're not going to be in the breakaway and you're going to have to stay in the pack and you know that the climbs are going to be really hard for you, um, but you're in a big group, a good strategy is to sag the climbs. So that means starting, trying to start near the front of the pack. So you, you ride up to the front of the pack when you have the advantage and then over the course of the climb, you slowly sort of lose ground. And then ideally, you save a little bit of energy. And by the time you get to the top of the climb, you're at the back of the pack, so you haven't lost contact. You can stay in the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you just do that over and over again. I had never heard of that strategy until college because we had some track cyclists on the road team, and they were actually like two of my really, really good friends. And the coach told them like, I want you guys to be on the front at the bottom of the climb. And they were, and they were still off the back, by the top of the climb. <laughs> so they did that strategy or they tried to do that strategy of like, Oh, I'm going to start at the front and then slowly just drift back and try to stay in the group. And they, they couldn't even do that because they were track cyclists. You're not encouraging but. people, Drew. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just saying that the, you know, the moral of the story is don't be a track cyclist. Um, you know, or do you know. Yeah, and she doesn't listen to the podcast, so she won't know that I just <laughs> said that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it, the really extreme four. ends of this, if you're really into cycling, <laughs> but maybe you're like <laughs> a certain phenotype or body type. Yeah, I mean, there's. I, I think the beautiful thing about cycling is that there's a discipline or a role for every type of rider out there. So I think you just yep. have to evaluate. Andrew like, just really doesn't want to hear. And, Andrew just really doesn't want to hear about your watts per kilo. <laughs> trying to run out the clock here. Shot down. <laughs> this is what, yeah. what, what do they call it in Congress when you just keep talking? <laughs> Filibuster? Yeah. Filibuster. I'll say it again. 
for all those who didn't hear, 5.4. I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if that's what, what good is or that? bad. 5.4 what? That's just... I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that my FTP... I haven't done an FTP test oh in a long my time. Gosh. But I'm guessing? I'm guessing it's around 370. Last year... Last... Yeah, never mind. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing it's around 370. I can... I You know, when I was doing threshold intervals, I, I'm pretty sure that that's accurate. Um, so 370... I weigh 150. Yeah. So just 5.4. just by the way, guys, you can subtract 10 watts off of that for. Or so for let's say 360. So Drew Drew like is only five, doing he's doing 5. like five 3. by two minutes at threshold. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, barely holding 370 for those as well. <laughs> so that's his threshold. Yeah. Heart rate, heart rate through the roof. Um, no, last last spring, I know I'm way more fit than I was a, a year and a couple months ago, and I did an hour, an hour test at 362. So I'm I'm confident that it's at 370 now, mm. if not higher. So okay, what are <laughs> your eyes? I, I, I know that I, the only reason I said mine was because I was hoping that it would incite you all to say yours. That's really what my goal was because I really want to know what Dylan. All right, is. all right. So the last time I did a 20 minute test was in. March, I think. And I did 390 watts for 20 minutes at 71 kilos. I'm currently one kilo lighter than that right now, 70 kilos, but I haven't done a 20 minute test in quite a while. So, but 390, you only take 95% of that, right? For FTP? Depends yeah. on the person. Should I do the math? So, mine is 20. That's 370. Who weighs less? That's the question. <laughs> Wait. So, what what do you weigh? One fifty, sixty eight. He's he guessing. Was. He was one fifty last year. No, I was at the doc. I was at the <laughs> doctor. I was at the doctor yesterday, and they I was one fifty and a half or something like that. Yeah, I'm like uh, one fifty four. So, <laughs> so I got him. You You're got five me. Point, <laughs> five I think, point I think one we, probably. You're five point three. I'm five point four. Well, I think you're. We've you're, already we've already concluded. We've already concluded that me and Dylan. He said this in one of his videos. If you haven't seen it, it's the race review on Greenwood <laughs> Gravel. And in his video, this is his quote that he says that me and Drew are basically the same exact rider, um, except for never mind. And <laughs> <laughs> no, well, we're the same height. We're Just, the same weight. We have yes. the same FTP. Yeah, exactly. Well, we've oh. concluded that I think we, me and Dylan, have agreed that if 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 a race was less than four hours, between two and four hours, it'd probably be really close. If it's less than two hours, I probably have the upper edge. If it's over four hours, he probably has the upper edge. I think even what we've established here is the the homogeneity of the cycling population. It's like everybody on this podcast, who, who seventy has, kilos. We all do three hundred sixty watts. <laughs> 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 that is so true who, i know who has so the many better, people who has the better watts per cda though i don't even think it's a question i think my watts per cda is <laughs> smashes yours i couldn't even tell you what cda stands for dude <laughs> i just know that yeah you've you've made it more aware to me that aerodynamics is important and i'm glad that i have a, the cervello s3 which is an aero bike I was a little like at first I was like, oh man, I wish they didn't give me this aero bike. But now I've it's grown on me. And because of Dylan's CDA talk, I'm I'm convinced it's the faster bike to have. Right. Well, well, all right, guys. Well, we ran we're, the, uh, I think we we're did trying a, to, we did a good <laughs> we're trying to keep these a little a good, shorter. <laughs> we did a good job of running the clock. We're at an hour. There we go. Yeah. We filled the time. Yeah, so we didn't get to our third question today, but that's all right. That's what we're here for. So uh, we'll be back again, maybe to answer this last question next week. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna cut it there for today. A- any last tips of wisdom for for our listeners out there? Whoa! I thought uh, we were I gonna an, cut it. I think I dropped enough wisdom for one day. You dropped a lot of wisdom today, Drew. Yep. So many so, people are gonna go home and never mind. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> never mind. Just coming, cut folks. this part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Later. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email titled the Matchbox Podcast. 
Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch y'all soon. Let's go! Let's go!